Okay. Um, good morning, everyone. Uh, for those that are in uh, Australia, good morning. For others around the world, probably good afternoon or good evening. Um, we've got attendees turning up as we speak. Apologies for the slight delay. Um, unfortunately, we won't be able to go live on Facebook at the minute. It wasn't uh, connecting, so uh, a little bit unfortunate. But uh, anyways, uh, that's, that's life. We'll uh, record and do a live broadcast a little bit later on. Um, as I said, good morning. My name's Chris Douglas from Chris Douglas Partner Solutions. I'm here with... Chaired Councilman, Olala Rikos. So we'll be co-hosting the session. We've got uh, Michael McKenna from the VACC, top left. Morning. Michael, unfortunately, he's got this thing in the background there. 2019 Premiers, Richmond Footy Club. Passionate Richmond supporter, anyways. <laughs> and uh, down the bottom, we've got Justin Walker from Grant Walker Parts. Good morning. Evening. Excellent. So um, we had a big session last week. Um, we uh, were in the UK last week and we spoke to Aviva Insurance and also uh, the likes of uh, uh, eBay UK, which was uh, great to have, um, have those guys on. They shared a lot about what they're doing in the UK uh, to support automotive recyclers and to grow the use of recycled auto parts with the collision repair industry. Obviously, there's been a lot happening um, with uh, COVID-19, um, for one, but there's been other stuff happening in the industry um, that Michael McKenna will talk to us about with regard to EPA guidelines and so forth that have been released just, uh, I think, last week. Michael, is that right? Uh, no, they were released about three weeks ago, but they got lost in all the kerfuffle of COVID-19. Of course. <laughs> so, um, like everything else. So... Um, We'll, uh, we'll be talking a little bit about those later on. And although they're Victorian guidelines, I think you'll find that most of the uh, automotive recycling uh, jurisdictions around Australia and even New Zealand for that matter, will take them and probably use a, a good, as a good foundation to, to move forward with um, their environmental guidelines for automotive recyclers. So Michael will talk a little bit more about that um, as we go through the, the session. Um, I want to, uh, as I said, welcome everyone to the call, but I also want to just make a note at this point in time that uh, stay tuned right through to the end. At the end of this call, we're going to be uh, announcing who's going to be on next week's call, which uh, we're getting a little bit of ahead of ourselves, but uh, we've got three great international guests that will be on next week, so stay tuned for that. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Okay, um, let's not hold up any longer. Um, Michael. Can we go straight across to you? Actually, before we go there, everyone, um, please, there's going to be a lot of information coming through from Michael, um, uh, some really good stuff that um, uh, Justin will be sharing with us. He's got a couple of slides that he wants to share with us as well. So um, I think good learnings, good opportunities to share information, use these forums to interact and ask questions so that we can respond to them. Um, as I said, the, the ones, the sessions that we have where we have uh, good interaction are the most valuable to, to the participants. So, Michael, if I can throw over to you, um, there's been a lot happening. We've been seeing a lot of emails coming from the VACC, a lot of Facebook posts, a lot of uh, interviews with, with Jeff Gwillen and so forth. Tell us a little bit about... Um, I suppose, where do we start with, with COVID-19 and what you're doing for the automotive industry generally, but also for automotive recyclers? Yeah, thanks, Chris, and thanks, Chad, and thank you for the opportunity. 
Uh, good morning to everybody. Um, look, VACC, um, we've, uh, we, we all know about COVID, of course, and we all know that, that it's touching everybody. Nobody is immune to it, pardon the pun, to, um, um, to the issues surrounding COVID and, and, and the business impact of, uh, of COVID-19. VACC is taking, at the moment, a, a four-point strategy uh, to assist automotive overall. Um, and in, in that automotive, of course, um, dismantlers are, are a key part of it. Part of my role at VACC, just so you know, is um, in Victoria, um, is I look after pretty much every operator who is licensed motor car trader or um, which means uh, new car dealers, used car dealers, dismantlers, um, truck dealers, um, motorcycles and so on, and 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 many dismantlers who are licensed either as like LMCTs or under the secondhand um, secondhand dealers uh, regime. Um, the, those guys, from our perspective, uh, have been affected greatly um, due to the very size and nature of the businesses. So our four-point strategy um, has been about ensuring that you guys, as employers. Um, the first part of this strategy is you, you guys as employers know what you can and can't do as far as your staff are concerned. Now, at the start, it was very messy. Um, we, we lobbied aggressively and we were one of about 100 different lobbyists who lobbied aggressively for some sort of wage subsidy to be introduced. And hence, lo and behold, um, you, you have JobKeeper, which has been um, gratefully received by industry. It's been a, um, it's been a, 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 a really good uh, initiative. Had to happen. Um, otherwise, I, I, I struggled to to comprehend what would have happened if government hadn't have introduced JobSeeker. Um, but uh, again, the, we just need, have needed the first part of the strategy is to make sure that industry is aware of what's going on. So to do that, we've had to um, we've had to provide a lot of support material, and we have fatigued members early days, and, and we deliberately did that because you needed to know. We believe you needed to know what to do and uh, you are looking to the industry association to, to for, for guidance to get um, to get through it we like you guys were just learning because no one's ever experienced anything like this anywhere ever before so we like you were learning and um, and um and um we unlike a lot of you are very well resourced and 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 could manage to put uh, processes and uh, programs in place to assist you Part of that uh, program and part of that assistance has seen VACC employ specifically a person by the name of Andrea Tualco. Andrea is a payroll expert um, and a and one-touch system payroll expert and is also um, uh, a government grant specialist, has her own external company and so on and so forth. So we, we've employed Andrea for the benefit of VACC members overall, including dismantlers. Um, and... Um, Andrea has been a great hit with members guiding them through, particularly the, the, through some of the complexities that it's around with JobKeeper. Um, we've also noted that uh, the other resources that we put in place for all members is we understand that the, um, the impact psychologically on, not just on the business owners, but the staff as well, who are struggling to comprehend or, or maybe feeling insecure or just not quite right about the situation. Um, we've offered, we're offering free uh, psychological um, and advice from from a uh, from a from a um, external contractor. Uh, if you're a VACC member and you do need to avail yourself to, to those uh, type to Andrea and to the psychological um, assistance, um, please reach out to me at VACC and, I'm, and I'll I'll send it or I can even send it. Please send it. 
the Chris and Chris can redistribute it to all of the attendees today. Um, the, the next part of the strategy is and an important part of the strategy and one that actually involved uh, Justin Walker um, as a dismantler, but someone who's, well, he looks better than most dismantlers look in real life. So, <laughs> um, no, no offence intended. Uh, yes, there is. There's plenty and you can take it that way. Um, the, the strategy too was to make it very clear to consumers and government that automotive retail is open and ready to go and, and, and needs people to go in to do business. We were, we, um, we were hearing stories of police pulling over consumers on their way to, to dealerships, automotive repairers and so on and so forth. Um, and um, we had to address that directly with the Minister for Police's office who gave quite clear advice. And it was advice that we knew, knew but we had, to get it, we had to get it from the Minister's office saying that automotive retailers dismantlers, repair shops, dealers, so on, can open. There's nothing to stop you from opening. If you want to close, that's your own decision. And police should not be pulling you over and telling you not to, um, or consumers over, not to, um, not to, um, uh, not to get, not to visit an automotive uh, retail business. So again, um, we were clear we got that direction and that's also supported by the Public Health and Safety Act. Um, section six, which makes a specific mention that one of the six reasons you can actually leave home is to visit a retail uh, operation if you need to purchase a product, good or service. Again, now I'm not sure how many attendees on these uh, on, on these calls are the ACC members. Um, the others from interstate locations, your own um, your your own state legislations may be different. But again, I will share. Um, uh, all the information with Chris again and the bulletins and Chris again you can distribute them and other interstate uh, people can can I would say there'd be similar type scenarios or arrangements made in states. Um, strategy uh, so automotive retail is open Justin and, and six other members of six different sectors um, feature in a video and um, and um, and radio campaign um, just stating that automotive re retail is open and um, it's been greatly received by some members. Again, I'll share that link with Chris and you, and for anybody on this call. I mean, it's got national significance, so you can you can share that link from your, your Facebook site, your, your websites, your um, your TikTok, whatever the case may be, sites or LinkedIn or whatever. I threw in TikTok there for Justin because you know these young guys they like they like these social media's. Whereas me and Chris and Chad, we like to read a book. Um, anyway. And Snapchat too. Don't forget. Thank you very much. Uh, the third part of the strategy, um, again, is um, um, is to lobby that uh, all businesses, no matter what your turnover is, um, should be um, eligible for all forms of government um, relief packages associated with COVID-19. Um, we've done some surveying specifically, only, and just this gives you a flavour for what's going on because it all, it's all relative. Um, um, New car dealerships at the moment are suffering a 70% downturn in business, which is massive. That was, remember, that's already in the market that was down in Victoria by 12%. So in effect, you say 82% year on year. Uh, part sales at a new car dealership on average are down 41.3% or $41,000 per day per dealership. Uh, new car dealers have also um, are now employing 29% uh, less people than they did from March 16, and that number is steadily growing. And when I say they're employed, they've either stood down or terminated people who have uh, who have who have been able to be terminated. Um, 
the the message to government is is quite simple and, and is um, along the lines of you should not be using turnover a random figure such as turnover to define who gets government assistance and who doesn't because as you guys know and, and I'm only using car dealership because this is the only hard data that I have but again I think you take across the board turn huge turnover or high turnover does not necessarily equate to profit or or, or, or substantial profit um, that's economic 101 I think um, in fact there's a lot of dealerships that I see that are doing it really badly now we sampled 70 dealers and um, some of the figures are horrendous I, 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 I shudder to think what they would for COVID-19 but in COVID-19 they're horrendous this will flow down so we're pushing government in that regard to open up the parameters particularly with land tax there's a lot of you guys in here Justin's one and I, and I know, and, and I know I'd be shocked if Chris the Greek wasn't another who have massive land holdings, who have massive land tax bills that they've got to pay. Now, the Victorian government has, has given an exemption, oh, sorry, has provided some relief for, for landlords who have, um, who, have, um, who have offered rent assistance to commercial tenants of uh, up to, um, uh, to uh, get some relief from land tax of up to, it's up to 25% off their, off their bill from the last financial year. Um, but again, we've got to make sure, but that's, that's contingent on thresholds and turnover and staff levels and so on and so forth. We've got to make sure that every business, regardless of size, is able, in automotive, is able to access this. We are aggressively lobbying the federal government and state government with, with only just this morning sent in our paper by MTAA, who is a national association, to government to say, um, urgent assistance is needed and required and the exemption for automotive retail must happen. This is an industry that's already in distress before COVID-19. It's an industry that hasn't gone with its hand held out. Automotive manufacturing was severely subsidised, but automotive retailing never saw a cent during the times of um, the automotive transitions and all those types of things. What I implore you to do if you're not in Victoria, uh, I know some of my other interstate colleagues are on the phone, please be in touch with your MTA, your Motor Trade Association, be it in, in New South, um, uh, South Australia, um, Western Australia, um, Tassie, Northern Territory. Please be in touch with them to, uh, to, to get the lay of the land as far, as far as you're concerned. Again, I'll share all the information from the VAC with Chris. And again, if Chris wants to or, or is able to, he can, he can distribute that out to you guys. But there's a lot of stuff in there about rent assistance. There's a lot of stuff in there about land tax. It's all high level stuff, but I think it's stuff you need to be around. If you're smart enough to be on this conference call, you'll be smart enough to understand what I've written. Okay, so I'll add that thing apart from you, Justin. So um, we'll, uh, we'll get that done. Um, what, what, do, what, what are we doing? Well, we're, we're still learning as we go forward about what... COVID-19 is going to mean, we have, we're like you guys, we have no idea um, when government's going to um, have some return to, to what we consider to be normal trading environments. I don't think we'll ever see um, business be the same again. I think there's a big lesson for this out of, for a lot of industry about scale and the economies of scale. Um, I think that will be probably one of the key takeaways. Um, much the same as um, September 11 was for, for, for the world, I think COVID-19 is going to change the way we go about a lot of things and, and, and we do a lot of things. Um, I would probably just implore you that if your businesses are open to ensure that you've got those social distancing <clears throat> in place, because really, apart from a lack of, of, of customers, and we'll park that to the left for a second, the, the only thing that's going to um, close your business down 
apart from that uh, lack of turnover, will be um, will be police or health authorities pinging you for, um, for breaching the social distancing regimes. So um, that's VAC's perspective on this. Continue to lean on us. Um, we, we're desperate to help. We really want to help. Um, if ever there's a time you needed your industry bodies to stand up, well, now's it. I think we've done a pretty okay job so far. The feedback's been, on the whole, pretty good, apart from some members being fatigued with information, but sort of damned if you do and damned if you don't. So we'd rather be damned if we do. Um, and um, and uh, just reach out to me at VACC recovered. Um, Chris, I'm not sure what the scenario is. Do you take questions here or do I just dive yeah, into I think uh, there's, there's a couple of things. Um, for, uh, please, uh, everyone that's on the call, uh, uh, you know, you're going to have millions of questions to ask you. So let's let's use this opportunity with Michael and, and uh, take it and, and ask the questions. So a couple of things from my perspective, Michael. You mentioned there a few times uh, information being available. And, um, what we'll be doing is sharing it um, on, on our uh, website and I'll forward that um, with cdps.com.au. If you go to the podcast section, uh, episode four, just beneath the episode, you will have uh, different materials. We've already got the EPA document there for people to access. Um, whatever Michael sends through, there you go. Mm -hmm. Whatever Michael sends through, um, we'll attach them as PDFs there so you can um, get on the website click and download those as you require from anywhere around Australia or New Zealand or wherever that may be. I think there's global relevance to a lot of that information there. Um, so um, we have... The information has been spot on. Uh, so feedback too from, from the industry. Um, Michael, the, the VACC certainly produced some, some pretty robust um, and factual um, helpful tips and um, tricks. Well, not, not tricks, but just as facts, really. And I've referred to it many times myself over the last few weeks, including talking to the support team there. So um, it really big thumbs up to what BACC has done. Uh, and, and I personally subscribe to many different uh, business groups and involved with different forums and information coming from from, from all angles. And and BACC, yeah, absolutely, it's been it's been uh, in line with every other piece of information that I've got, and very precise. Thank you, Justin. That's good. Um, and the other thing, uh, as well as Chris's website for the other interstate people, if you uh, visit the MTAA, who is our national federation, which APRA, as you guys know, APRA, the, the national body, is part of the MTAA website uh, and MTAA, which is run by Richard mm -hmm. Dutton, who does an absolutely, I think he's a fantastic ambassador for, for automotive, but in particular for, for dismantlers, who he has a massive interest in. Um, if you, uh, if you go to the MTAA website, I think it breaks it down by state as well. So Richard's done a really good job. And thank you if you were Justin, that's good. But all those factual informations and all those things happened when I was on annual leave. So we'll, uh, we'll straighten it up and, and get to some inaccuracies for you, mate, just to make sure you were running into some dramas. Um, if you don't mind, I might just flick over to, to, to this document just for a quick one minute, Chris, and, and wrap me up if that's okay. Absolutely. Okay. Um, the EPA Auto Recyclers Guide, EPA Victoria Auto Recyclers Guidelines. Um, first of all, a massive shout out to EPA Victoria for, for their collaborative nature and and um, and um, keeping VACC and VACC members um, involved in the whole process all the way through. Um, unbelievably good agency to work with. I never thought I'd, I'd say that out loud about a government agency about five six years ago, but they've had a change in. Um, in culture in there, I suppose, and we're sort of seeing similar type things happen in big roads, which is really exciting as well from a Victorian perspective. However, just so you know, like Chris said, these guidelines are, are an important step 
for the VACC and the Automotive Dismantlers and Recyclers Executive Committee, of which Chris is one, and it's headed up by Wayne Olway. Includes people of the ilk of Mike Third and Dale Limrack and Campbell Brown from ACM and Mick Cox and Dean Howe and yeah, Justin. And um, and and um, forgive me if I forgot Emma Emma McIndoe, of course. Um, got to show our true diversity there, and she's an absolutely fantastic thinker. Um, but the guidelines are a really important step towards getting towards a government-endorsed end-of-life vehicle program for Australia. Now, we've all seen the slides before, and and we're seeing the slides that Mongolia has an end-of-life vehicle program, but Australia doesn't, and so on and so forth. We all know the stats. I'm not going to bore you with that. However, what's important about this document, and this is before Minister Susan Lace federally, and we've met with her, I'm with her with Richard Dudley, is that is that it's the first time a standard has been created where the standard has been driven by industry and also by the, the key government agency in the state at, at that time. There's massive interest in it federally. We were well down the track to having the Minister for Environment's office come back to uh, Richard Dudley and ourselves at VACC to convene to discuss further how an end-of-life vehicle policy um, would look, apart from the standard, of course. But of course, as with everybody, um, COVID-19 certainly threw a spanner in those works. However, we'll, re we'll come back, we'll give the government two, two weeks or two more weeks or so to breathe with regards to COVID and we'll go back to that world. We really, the, the conversations are happening and the conversations are good. It's nothing, there's nothing like evidence-based portfolios to convince government what they've got to do. And there's nothing like proving, I mean, we, we were in the midst, we had the perfect storm happen for us, I suppose, with the, um, with the bushfires and, and the whole thing about climate change and environmental perspectives and all, all the situations that were happening in Victoria, out of Campbellfield and so on and so forth. For us, we struck and we struck hard and we struck with a fantastic document that's not full of drama. So, um, Victoria members, thank you for your help. Interstate, there's massive interest interstate, and I know some of the other MTAs are looking um, hard at this document and looking to engage with their own EPAs in those states. And I think um, I think we'll we will get there. It's going to be again a slow journey. This is a, this is the thing with committees. Everything is a slow journey. They're big ticket items. Mick Cox used to always say to me, Mick, we've got to find the apple. We've got to find the apple to get members engaged and interested. Well, this is the first bite of the apple. Okay, the big apple is getting that end-of-life vehicle process up, uh, program up for those who want to participate and, and um, letting government see the sophistication of dismantling businesses and dismantling people. Again, I'm, I'm not pissing in your pocket, but I say if you're on this phone call or on this video call or teleconference or Zoom, whatever it is, sorry, um, you're already, to me, you're, as a dismantler, you're a sophisticated person and you've taken the time and you're actually in a hurry to access it too, which is a big challenge. So we're, we're doing a lot of stuff at VACC. Uh, reach out. If you're not a member, we'll become a member. Happy to have a chat to you. Um, but um, yeah, that's all I've really got to say. I, I, I really want to reach out. Um, I really want to acknowledge uh, Chris. Chris has been a fantastic ambassador for you guys. And um, whilst we, we, we're careful, we've got to be careful of who we endorse and whatever, but I'm proudly, I'm proud for the ACC to be associated with Chris and, and, and Banded Solutions. I'm honoured to um, that um, someone of the ilk of um, Mike Anselman has, has made his way over to, a, to to Melbourne to live and move his family here. And this sounds like there's going to be a few more Richmond Tiger members there. So thank you. And um, He's and a kangaroo. He's a kangaroo, <laughs> mate. <laughs> mate you'll always, always be 
it'll be a regretful decision. That's all I can say. But thank you, everybody. And, and if you've got any questions, um, reach out to me at VACC. I need help. I want to help. Great, Michael. Thank you very, very much. I want to throw over to Chad, actually, now that we're talking about um, Chad. And obviously, having been the immediate past president of the ARA, you had a bit to do with these types of um, sort of governmental regulations and so on. The type of work that VACC is doing, tell us a little bit about how in the US that works and, and what you see here as a comparison. I honestly think that what the VACC has produced is, is superior to anything we have in the US. Uh, I don't believe I've seen a document like that in the US yet. And so uh, it's, it's impressive to see that, that you're proactive, you're, you're stepping forward to make it happen. And, uh, and so I think that you're lucky here in Australia to have that uh, and have the, the, the government working with the recyclers to develop the, the process. And so I absolutely uh, uh, applaud the effort and say it's a, a good job. Keep up, keep up the good work, Michael. I think in the context of, you know, you, you only know how good or bad something is if you've got something to compare it to. Right. And, and that's why I asked for Chad's sort of input there because he's seen both sides of the, the fence, if you like, um, and we can compare it. So mm -hmm. I think that's really good feedback. And from your perspective, Michael, and there, so I think that's, that's excellent. I want to pick up on something, Michael, that you said there about dealerships and dealership sales. Um, and uh, Justin, I'll, I'll sort of refer to you here as well for a second before I hand over to you. But um, dealership sales, I think you mentioned new car sales are down 61%? 70%. They were down 61% for the, for the back portion of March. Okay. So new car sales, 70% down. Uh, new part sales, 41% down. Dealership sales. Yep. Um, again, this is a sort of a theme that's been coming through over the last few weeks with, with the calls. And <clears throat> um, I think from auto recyclers perspective that are on this call and, and other stakeholders, um, I noticed there's some people from Capricorn on the call, which is great to see you guys um, participating. Um, you know, what does that mean if new car sales are down by 70%? That means there's more older vehicles, more vehicles are being kept on the road. People aren't changing their cars. Um, and from a perspective of the automotive recycling industry, as we've seen in, in times of you know, economic distress, um, you know, people don't change their cars. People don't take out a, you know, a new car sort of warranty type deal because they haven't bought the car. What does it mean? It means that they keep their old cars and they need to repair them. So I think that's something that as an industry we need to prepare for and make sure that we're ready for as soon as, you know, industry goes back to some kind of normality. Um, so I urge people to start doing that work in the background. Justin, from your perspective, what are the things that you're doing now, call it in the quiet time or in, in, in a period where sales are possibly off a little bit um, for obvious reasons, you know, uh, insurance claims, I've got some evidence uh, out of some insurers that claims are down 60% in Australian in the Australian market, while others in, in the UK, for example, are down 85%. Um, yeah. Less cars on the road, less cars being uh, involved in accidents, less cars requiring repair at mechanic shops. What are you doing at the minute to sort of stay relevant? Yeah, well, it's, it's absolutely a fascinating time. And there's a little swing uh, away from panel right now. We've seen some of the larger panel groups, AMA, 
uh, being the, the, the dominant player in the Australian market, um, has gone into perhaps a little bit of a hibernation mode. So work flowing through from that group, which represent about 30% of our panel market, um, has reduced. I think it's short term, but I think there'll be a, uh, a tail there where it's, it's a reduced demand for us for several months. Um, also, just touching on, we touch on AMA, it is a big part of our, our industry um, in relation to panel. And their approach with this vertical integration scenario with, with ACM parts will have an impact as well. So perhaps where some of the dismantlers are focused on panel, they need to shift their focus perhaps even back towards the old school, if I can call it, the retail days. A lot of people working from home now, um, trying to do some of the simple jobs from home. We know that that's, that's harder than it once was uh, perhaps 20 or 30 years ago. Um, not that I was around then, of course. I think I was probably still a primary school, guys. Uh, I feel like I'm hanging out with my parents here. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a shift. and But look, mechanical trades still operating, albeit reduced volume as well. Um, we're certainly seeing some larger jobs being postponed. Um, if you're looking at spending five to $10,000 on an engine replacement, job and you've lost your job or your partner's lost their job and they're being put on hold um, so that, yeah the, the profile in terms of the parts going out the door is a little different right now but it's short term so we need to focus on on where it's going to be in six months and uh you now we can talk about a few different areas of, of, of change and we'll touch on change and, and where that's and where the industry is perhaps heading as well so yeah focus on the short term solve the problems but let's look at the big picture too guys one of the things, I actually got a text from someone in Brisbane on Sunday um, who's been watching the podcast and he, he made, made mention that um, they're seeing an increase in sales of mechanical components, but mechanical components not at the upper level in the, you know, seven $800 range type of Absolutely. Engine. For sure. Yeah. I was going through our sales only, only, only last night and yeah, there's a huge chunk in that three to $1,000 range and very few as a percentage. When I talk about the, the revenue profile, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot less than normal above that thousand dollar mark. Yeah, Makes still happening, but just less. From a from a, a US experience and your your um, ownership of Council Automotive Recycling, you know, six months ago and you know, over the past twenty years, what have you seen the, in these types of environments? How what do you think the opportunities? Well, I look at this in the US as sort of like an income tax refund check. That's what I would call it in the U.S. This is a stimulus payment that's come out to the Australians, the U.S. Uh, employees have gotten similar type of stimulus. They're spending that money to make repairs that are critical to keep their vehicle on the road. And so if they need to start or alternate or some kind of mechanical part, they are going to be foregoing repairs on a, on a panel repair. They're going to keep the car mobile and they can get back and forth to work or do what they absolutely have to and, uh, and, and sacrificing some uh, panel repairs. And so, but we always have seen a spike in mechanical revenue in the U.S. Uh, during the income. There's a refund check coming out from the government. Absolutely, yeah. excellent, Michael. What? Um, and I certainly don't want to put you in a, on the spot here with this because you represent a number of different, you know, uh, sectors within the industry. Um, I have a view that um, an increased uh, volume of recycled parts being used in the repair process, both mechanical and collision, is a good thing for the OEs as well, for the dealers. Now, counterintuitive thinking, but at the end of the day, 
if we're able to keep the vehicle on the road and repair the vehicle as opposed to not repair the vehicle and total loss it, um, ultimately the OEMs uh, make 80% of the sales in the repair process, right? Um, as a result, they get 80% of the benefit. Um, well, in fact, today it's probably 95% of the benefit. What, uh, what can the VACC do to sort of promote to the consumer that recycle parts are here, they're a relevant part of the industry, they're a good part of, of the industry, they're a high quality component, genuine component. What is it there that we could do to promote, you know, mechanical components to, uh, to the mechanical repair industry um, from the automotive recycling industry? And how can the VACC help with that? Yeah, it's a bit of a vexed question for me, Chris. You're right, but however, um, I, I, I would probably suggest, um, and um, that, that's more of a a, um, a a thing for APRA to 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 take care of, as opposed to VACC, because it becomes a more dedicated, specific organisation to do that. However. Um, um, and APRA's functioning and functioning well at the moment, but doesn't market itself tremendously well. That's my fault, and I'll take I'll take the weight for that. Um, what what can you do? I mean, apart from direct marketing, which we don't have, whilst we're truthfully we're pretty well resourced, um, the VACC, we've got to be careful that we're not um, we're not spending too much money directly marketing one industry over another. So that's the political comment on. We, we could do a lot better, Chris, at, at pushing dismantlers. Alan Marshall used to do a great job back in the day of um, of putting out, you know, the green theory and so on and so forth. I think, I think you're doing I think you're doing fine. I, don't, I think uh, possibly diluting the message there when you, when you talk about regulation with the ELV policy and of life vehicle policy, that is inadvertently helping our industry. Bringing regulation to the recycling industry puts it on a uh, different playing field with the OEM network or the aftermarket um, providers. So I think, you know, to say that you, you can't assist or you don't assist is not correct. I think you are. Um, perhaps you're just, uh, you know, the, the success hasn't come yet. When the regulation hits, and, and it will happen, you know, we, we work in a very fragmented, um, somewhat unregulated industry. When ELV policy comes through, and I firmly believe that it will, that's that's almost the floodgates, and, and that, that that alone will make a significant difference to demand on on cycle parts. We all know it's great, great for the environment, great for the community. Uh, it makes sense. Um, the world's a changing place right now, so ELV policy makes sense. It will help us. Yeah, look, and that's why we're so uh, to to quote you know Mick Cox from many years ago. That's the apple for for us and for you. So it's from us from a lobbying perspective. And, and the opportunity for every dismantler in Australia is that policy, is, is that ELV policy. However, in the immediate short term, while that's going to be, a, again, still continues to be a slow burn, but it will happen. I think we're closer to it than we've ever been, which is really, really positive. Um, but in the, sh in the short term, when I say the short term, in the next year or two, what, what can we do as an association? Well, I, uh, um, Justin, you're right, our messaging is probably key. We're not marketers, and to be brutally honest, we don't market well at all anyway. And we've, we've got proof. We've got plenty of um, uh, um, examples where, where we just haven't marketed what's been a good product or a good system well. We're lobbyists, and we're here to, we're here to lobby. Um, but again, we can just continue to keep that messaging going at, at not just a state and federal level, but local level with local governments as well, I suppose. 
Thank you. Thanks, Michael. Um, yeah. Justin, what are you doing about change? There's a, there's a lot of stuff that you've been working on from uh, internally within your business to, to manage change within these times. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So, so change is a, is a little bit of a buzzword at the moment. And uh, we've obviously had a crisis hit and people are needing to change quickly and endorse the need for change in, in a whole bunch of areas of the business. So I thought we'd touch on, um, touch on that and dive a little deeper into the psychological aspects um, of us as leaders or our employees of what, what we're going through and how that affects the traditional change curve. And um, yeah, there's, there's some opportunities in this as well. So if I can uh, refer to a couple of slides and even for those who are, who are, who are well-learned and that might uh, be aware of the, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs um, in relation to human, human motivation and, and human, human needs and wants. So if we can have a look at that and then reflect back on, on the change curve, I think that would just be interesting to, to, um, to dive into and happy to answer any questions on that. But I'm not a behavioural expert, uh, but I certainly look at these, um, the science and the, and the lessons from history and see what we can... Uh, we can take from that. So, Maslow hierarchy, yeah. my favorite principle I learned in college. Yeah, absolutely, my favorite. <laughs> there we go. I'll just grab a screen up here. Uh, so, if we can see here, uh, this is a traditional um, change curve, and basically it goes through people's uh, feelings over time in organizations. So, we have here a key point would be denial, then we go through this anger, frustration. Um, bottom of the curve here. Then we explore opportunities and then we go on to acceptance and we, and we push forward. So along the bottom, we have a timeline and, and that obviously varies depending on the level of change. Um, but of course, many organisations and, and certainly the big corporates pushing from um, you know, working in an office in a CBD location to working from home, that's a huge change for people. Um, but what is interesting is that if we refer to Maslow's hierarchy of needs for a second. So there's five key levels. Now there's different versions of, of this, but often when times are good, we sit in these upper levels um, of the hierarchy. So esteem and self-actualization. So when things are good at home, when things are good at work, this is what we aspire to because all the bottom levels uh, are already met. However, when a crisis hits, what do we have? Yeah, this huge shift toward this lower level, the second level, this safety, safety needs level. When we fall into this category, our motivation to make sure that we secure these personal securities, our safety, our health, a roof over our head, um, obviously our jobs, then the motivation level also increases quite a lot. Not quite a lot, but about tenfold. So the ability for us as leaders to invoke change is significant. Some, some people would say, never waste a crisis. I think that's a, uh, it's a, it's a famous line. Um, some of us would have heard before, but don't waste a crisis. This is a time to change, um, make your organization uh, more efficient, uh, more effective, and, and, and think about what struggles you may have had and resistance to change over the last, you know, last decade, all of a sudden, crisis hits, bang, you've got the opportunity to, um, to make those rapid changes. So, you know, we look at back at the curve, 
and we look at the traditional curve here and we say, hey, this is really what is happening right now. Just, uh, So we're going from here and we're all in a little bit of denial, a little bit of panic stage, a little bit of frustration, but then bang. This is how, or what I've experienced in our organization and people I talk to, this, this is what's occurred over the last three or four weeks. So we're, we're instantly accepting of change when we must, when we want to meet our safety needs, you know, we're, far, we're far more accepting. So uh, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. Um, you know, we can we can, we can look at uh, let's refer some the only, only other thing I'd say that we need need here is that so we're primed for change is that we need leadership. Uh, if, if I'm sure people on this call, many of you are, are the leaders, whether you be the owners or the managers of respective organisations, as long as you're providing the leadership, um, change will occur. Um, Fortunately or unfortunately, you know, if you look on a larger scale, if you look at uh, the United States, they have a, an interesting leader, um, some love, not so loved, <laughs> uh, Mr. Donald Trump. He, he, he can rally the masses quite quickly, particularly when, when you're living in a state of fear um, and wanting to make sure that you're uh, meeting those lower level of, of needs. So interesting time, um, we, can, we, can, we can use it to our advantage. Stop my chair there. So Justin, how, how have you used those principles in your business? Uh, you know, let's think about now in a uh, tactical way. What have you done? Safety, security for your employees. What kind of ideas have you done there? Well, communication is key, number one. So uh, when people are fearful, they, one, they look towards a leader and they look towards uh, what they're saying, how they're acting, their body language. That is important. You, you, must, you must be strong and I'm sure just said many on the call have been tested in the last few weeks. So um, you need you, you don't always get it right, but, but leadership is what they need and strength and they find confidence in, in strong leadership. So uh, there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't have all the answers, but we're working through them. These are our options. And if you can take a collaborative approach on that, I think that you get buy-in, you always get buy -in, more buy-in from employees when you take that collaborative approach. But at the end of the day, you as a leader must make a decision. Um, and in this rapidly changing environment, you must make that quickly. So it's been, uh, it's been, been fascinating. It's actually been, if I can dare say, somewhat enjoyable to be the leader of our, of our business here. Um, Grant Walker Parts has, has been around for 40 years. It's still a privately owned, it's a family business. Um, it's, family, it's, it's family finances, there's no outside influence. And we've never gone through this uh, scenario before. We've always gone through growth, we're employing people, and then everything's been, been flipped on its head. Uh, so if you want to drill down to specifics, uh, I'm not sure, Chris, if you, if you want to have a chat about this uh, now, but you certainly look at uh, you know, how you're servicing your retail customers, how you're servicing perhaps your panel. Um, retail's been, been a fascinating one too, where we haven't been able to have physical contact uh, with our retail customers, but we've created a touchless, um, contactless scenario where they can be online, they can look at your parts. Uh, we talk, talk about pictures of parts and then we refer back to some of the inventory systems like people, how important it is to be taking pictures of your inventory so you can show them, uh, whether it be email or even text versions now. 
So, um, yeah, transferring from the call or a text or an email to showing them the path, to giving them the confidence, taking them on that little buyer journey, and then obviously converting and, and taking the, 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 the cashless or the contactless um, payment. So we've looked at that area as a business as, as one example. Then, of course, all the other areas in terms of um, delivery, vehicle hygiene. Um, traditionally, we don't deliver to residential addresses. But fortunately, we have a fleet of vehicles where we do have that option. So provided that the customer has paid up front and it's still safe, we can drop a part off to a residential house. There's no contact. Everyone's, everyone, everyone's happy with the, with the transaction, but, um, transaction journey. Excellent. Thanks for that. Chad, um, have you had any news from US recyclers about what they're doing um, to sort of manage that change? It's the same thing. I, I've, I've heard some recyclers talk about a spike in e-commerce revenue, uh, contactless uh, shipping the product or whatever. Uh, I know of an operation, actually my previous operation, my, my brother uh, owns the, our previous operation now, uh, he went to do an exact same thing and delivering to the retail customers to their front door. Uh, and so he's explored new options in order to, to meet the demand of the customer right now where they can't get out or are fearful to get out. So that's, and that's where, if I can touch on the, the power of data too, where if we can move the reliance to part numbers as opposed to descriptions, then the accuracy of what you're delivering without physically seeing it um, has a huge benefit. So we talk about growth and talk about change in the future. I think there'll be a much bigger reliance on, on the part number data. Um, which is a, which is a, probably another topic for another day. But, um, yeah, I, I agree. Just... I agree with you. I believe that, that we're going to see a, a spike in e-commerce uh, as a proportion of our total sales for the industry, uh, and that requires us thinking a little differently. I, you know, it's uh, I need to, to spend five hundred dollars on a photo booth so I can image these pictures better. I need lighting. I need a camera uh, that's that's better quality than what I'm currently using, and so those type opportunities and ideas are what you could be implement, implementing right now if you're not already doing that. I, I believe that people that it, were ahead of the curve and did that two years ago are reaping the benefit today. They are, for sure. And we were, I'll be honest, we were, we were lagging um, in that part of our business, so we've realigned some of our resources from the front end to the back end, and whether that be entering uh, part number information and taking pictures, that, that will help. And I don't think we missed the boat on that. It's just that it's taken a crisis to really reflect on where we were weak um, and where the opportunities lie. Yep. That was your denial phase. Correct. Correct. Because <laughs> uh, I was wanting to meet those lower needs. Bang. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, have you had feedback from other um, ADRD or recycling division members um, around sales and how they're going? How many have closed? How many have stayed open? Do you have any of that type of information? I don't have it specifically about opened or closed rates and, and staff numbers and so on and so forth. Um, but the general conversations I've been having, and as we tend to find it at, uh, in, in these lobbyist type roles, um, we're pretty much um, hard for us to get access to some of our members at times because at the time it's usually a boring and tedious subject that we want to speak to them about. However, the ones that I have spoken to have, have gone along the lines of what you initially said quite a while back in the conversation, Chris, when it comes to the opportunities that are available for 
now for consumers who don't want to spend money on a new part or do, do whatever the case is. So they are, they are somewhat um, busier with consumers who have got times in their hands, their time in their hands to actually fix this. But again, that's sort of counterbalanced by the fact that people think they can't go out still. And that's really, that's, that's part of our messaging. We just really got to get it through everybody's head that you can actually get out there as long as you're practicing those social distancing things. But we will be doing a, a, a pulse survey. Um, we'll be rolling that out hopefully in the next week and that will cover every sector and we'll cover a focus group of every sector to be able to get um, yeah, a monthly update on where we're at, particularly employment numbers are key to, to this for us because um, all governments are interested in is jobs, 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 jobs. And then maybe now the environment's coming up closely and the jobs is key. But, um, not, not specifically, Chris. No. All right. Well, it'd be good um, knowing that that survey is coming out for those that are on the call and spread the word to to other peers in the industry. Um, <laughs> fill those out. I know they take a little bit of time, but um, I think it's critical to to provide that information so that we understand what's happening. Yeah, Chris. And just so you know, with this survey and, we, and the conversation that we had internally, and it was um, it was pretty well headed up by um, Dr. Imogen Reed and uh, John Guest internally, which is great was that um, the survey will only be four questions. It'll be the same four questions every month. So hopefully it'll only take five, 10 minutes to fill out in its entirety monthly. But again, it allows, a sector by sector. It allows for a true environmental scan of COVID-19 for, for, for the government and, our, and our stakeholders. Perfect, perfect. Um, okay, so for all attendees that are on the call, if you've got any um, last questions, uh, we've only got about five minutes left. Uh, please get those in now. Um, Michael's made the point there on, on the chat there that Victorian Tasmanian members uh, can contact him at his email address, mmckenna.acc.com.au. Um, all other states look at the MTA websites for relevant contact. We've got Marie Donato from uh, MTAWA on the call. Thanks, Marie, for being on the call. And um, I, I urge people like Marie and um, Rob uh, from... Um, uh, Capricorn, or even uh, Harry, who represents uh, automotive recyclers uh, through a, an association in, in New Zealand, Harry Dodson. Um, take a, uh, you know, you get a YouTube copy of this um, and please share it because there's some really good information in these sessions that we should be sharing throughout the industry. The more we can help, the better. Um, we've got a question there from Darren at River Murray. Uh, my question is for Mick. <laughs> Uh, well, okay, that's obviously a, a, an insight. Dubai. Very good, very good. <laughs> what shampoo do you use, Michael? Let's share that. Uh, mate, can I, I tell you, I'm a tighter. Shoulders, and um, but the thing is, um, as uh, as most most uh, fashionistas such as myself uh, do, we we put a bit of product in the hair, uh, a bit of the old uh, Weller Balsam. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, I know what it feels like. Mick, I know what it feels like. Actually, just went for a haircut the other day, and it's uh... like George. You're like George Costanza. You should rub your head with baby oil and drink yourself in velvet, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult to Thanks, find Darren. a who cut your hair. <laughs> Very good, um, Justin. Any uh, final comments before we wrap up today's session? No, just just back on that uh, that word of change again. Is that uh, in summary? You know, I think that we're looking at regulation will change our industry. So this is beyond our short-term changes. We've got regulation. I think that consolidation at some point will have a profound impact on our industry. Uh, we've seen it in other parts of the world and we haven't really seen it here yet. 
Um, I'd certainly like uh, hopefully one of your podcasts to explore that um, scenario a little more. In Australia, we've seen various attempts, been unsuccessful. Um, I think, as I said, we live in, we work in a very fragmented industry and my view is that that, that may change at some point. Um, I also think that um, uh, the e-commerce side of things will, will make a difference. We'll become more efficient, we'll become more accurate with the use of data. Uh, that will, will streamline our operations and, and, and the use of uh, you know, back-end technology, which exists in other parts of the world. So ch change is coming. Um, let's endorse it. Let's use a crisis. Let's, let's just drive the, uh, the, the change, good changes, and do it now. One of the things, Justin, while we're talking about change, one of the things that you've been fairly um, aggressive with has been around certification. Um, now, I know that from an NSF perspective, they've, they've pulled out uh, the UK. If you saw the show last week, the UK is driving a certification program. Um, and they are at the point of basically deploying as soon as COVID-19 is over. They'll have an independently audited and certif uh, certification program that the Vehicle Recyclers Association is driving there. What, um, what's your view on that and how can the industry use uh, certification, if you like, as a way forward? So we were, we were lucky or fortunate enough to have the NSF certification uh, into Australia and unfortunately that's, that's now been taken away. But I love the principle of third-party certification because it effectively reduces or mitigates the risk for a large company like an insurer it reduces the risk of a director being negligent. So if you look at it on a different level, yes, we understand that there's complexities and perhaps consistency issues at, at times with, with regulating parts and businesses. However, as a whole, the concept, really what it's designed to do is shift the risk from somebody like a director in an insurance company deciding to use more secondhand parts. We are using a third party regulated industry to provide our secondhand, our recycled parts. So as I said, NSF is now gone, but what we do also have is systems like the all auto recall system, which also mitigate risk. Um, the all auto recall system, again, big fan of that because it's a rigid systematic process and system that happens behind the scenes, the back end, to ensure that recyclers are not selling inferior or recalled items. So again, that's about risk reduction uh, for the wider community and also obviously for those directors um, making the all important decisions in terms of how, how, how much they use recycled parts within their repair process. And that's not just panel, that's, that's mechanical too. So I think that uh, the, future, the future definitely is regulation, but also certification. Yep. Absolutely. And touching on that, the all auto recalls uh, point of it, we, we just developed a flyer and uh, we're having the flyers printed right now and all the subscribers that use the all auto recall system, we're sending a thousand flyers out for each of you to put with your parts as you're delivering them uh, that says, my part is safe. It's been checked, at, checked for recalls. And so we are absolutely uh, helping the recyclers get that word out to the end consumer that's buying the product. And uh, our product also alerts you to future recalls. So if you sell a part today and a recall comes out on it in, in 30 days, you'll get an alert that says there is a recall on a part uh, that you may have in right. your system and uh, you may have sold. And the key thing that is that happens automatically. It's not a manual process. Right. So when you're uh, a medium to larger size dismantler, you just can't keep track 
of the amount of items going out the door. So if that has happens at a system level, um, then, it's, then it's problem solved. Yep. I think the, the message there critically is, um, again, uh, I think we need to differentiate ourselves as an industry, as individual yards. And um, Michael, I know that BACC has, you know, the, I think they've got the, still got, is it the Green Stamp program or the, yeah? Um, Every state as well, MT, South Australia, North Australia. Yeah. Those. So those types of things, you know, in the, in the US, they've got the gold program, the car program. They're really, really important. It's, they are self sort of regulating deals. They're within industry type stuff. I know the BSSC one is more independent, um, but they are something. It's a step in the right direction. So I think the more of that you do, the more compliant you are, the more risk you're, you're dealing with um, or, or mitigating, um, and the more differentiation you're providing for your own business and for the industry. So the more, the better, in my view. Okay, without um, holding anyone up, it's uh, we've gone an hour. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, next week's um, show. Um, we've got a, a, a fairly amazing show happening next week. Um, one of the attendees on this call today, Michelle Malik, is from is the CEO of Body Shop News um, and the group publisher of Body Shop News across uh, multiple different uh, continents. Uh, Michelle's been good enough to uh, coordinate a session with the CEO of IBIS Worldwide and Body Shop Magazine, Jason Mosley uh, himself, Michelle Malik, and also Jason Stahl, the editor of Body Shop Business, uh, part of the Babcock's Media Group in the US. So we've got US uh, Body Shop um, uh, Business, Babcock's Media. We've got UK or Europe, Jason Mosley, who's the CEO of IBIS. Um, and we've got uh, Ibis Worldwide, and we've got Michelle Malik, the CEO of Body Shop News Australia um, and other parts of the world. So it's going to be a really big event. Um, all of those organisations will be promoting the podcast across different continents. Time-wise, we're not sure exactly what time it's going to happen on at the minute because we're trying to coordinate everyone in three different time, distinctly different time zones. Um, but certainly it's, uh, it's going to be a show where we'll be talking about a number of different things specific to, you know, other stakeholders that we sell product to as an industry, um, recyclers selling to collision repairers, um, the view of these different organizations with regard to how we can interact better with, with the industry. So stay tuned for that one. It really is a big episode that we're looking at, um, having next next Tuesday sometime. So uh, please take note of the time. We'll try and communicate that as clearly as possible over the next day or two. Um, Marie's just sent a, a text through. Uh, thank you to, to Michael. Excellent information you shared. Thanks, Justin. Excellent, uh, uh, particular interest significance to help recyclers. So thank you, Justin. Um, Con, uh, we'll send links out to the... Um, um, EPA document, um, but you can get those at cdps.com.au. Go to the podcast tab and you'll see it underneath the uh, episode four podcast. There'll be different links to different documents that Michael will share with us. Otherwise, you can go onto the VACC website and I'm sure there's, uh, you know, you'll, you'll find it there somewhere. Yep. Okay. Um, in closing, Michael, thank you very much. Any closing words from you? Thank you. Justin, you're on mute. Uh, any closing words from you before we, we uh, head off? No. 
Excellent. Okay. Nope, I'm good. Appreciate everybody attending. Thanks very much, everyone. Really appreciate your attendance, and uh, we'll see you next week. Brilliant. Well done. Bye,